Welcome to Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever, a podcast for the thinking Washington Wizards fan. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host, as always, is the great Kevin Broom. Hello, Kevin. Hello. I I like the great, although I think you're maybe the only person to have ever used that word in association with my name. Well, see, I was distinguishing you from the not-so-great Kevin Broom, so that's why I had to let the people know. Kevin, the Wizards and the Celtics are locked up at 2-2 in this Eastern Conference semifinal series. We are getting ready for the pivotal Game 5, as they say. What are you thinking about the Wizards' chances of taking this series? Well, they're pretty good. I, <laughs> it, It's been kind of a crazy series, just... The, you know Isaiah Thomas going for 53 in uh, in that overtime game, and then the Wizards coming back and winning two pretty comfortable games, going on a 26-0 run in Game Four. Uh, it's just been kind of a nutty series. And you know, before the series, I picked Boston I, on Twitter. I picked Boston in seven, even though my prognostication machine had the Wizards with a 52% chance of winning. I just figured home court advantage was going to hold sway. And so far, that's that's worked out. But at this point, I have him have this basically dead even. Both teams with the coin flip odds of winning, and I really think that to go all full cliche on us, that Game Five is the pivotal game. That whoever wins Game Five will win the series. That's certainly the narrative, right? And and we are as we get ready for this game, all the the talk in the media is basically first of all that this is the biggest Wizards game in however long anyone cares to remember since they were playing for championships and, and making deep playoff runs. And and part of that reason is because it, it seems to be sort of a foregone conclusion that whoever wins this game wins the series. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason I feel that way and don't think that way, and I'll get to why in a second, is I... I I think, all right, if the Wizards win this game and were to some reason lose game six at home, they would at least have the psychological benefit of saying, look, we had lost however many straight in Boston, but we've won there in game five. We know we can win a game seven on their floor. Mm-hmm. If 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 they were to lose uh, game five, you know, they'll have lost at that point, I think it's seven or eight in a row in Boston and and I think that's hanging over them in Game Six, and 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 maybe they don't even get back to get back to Boston. And even if they do, I think it's it's a big psych- psychological hurdle. The the Wizards have played so much better than the Celtics over the past couple games. Mm-hmm. Home court has to figure into that a little bit, but but the Wizards are just playing better right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess my my question for you is, you know, in your analysis. What what does winning Game Five do to each is to each team's relative um, uh, probability of winning the series? Uh, basically, I would say it, it, again, according to my prognostication machine, it, it adds fifteen percent to their likelihood of winning for for each team. So, if the Wizards win, they would ha- then have a sixty five percent chance of winning the series, and the same is true for Boston. So, if they lose. It's not out of the realm of possibility. A 35% chance is still pretty good chance, but odds are that they would lose one of those two games and uh, 
go golfing, as they say, go to the beach, whatever, whatever it is. Um, you know, and that's that's funny because I I would think it would be more. I would think that as a, a that if they were to lose game five um, as being the lower seed, that they would have something like you know a twenty percent chance of 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 winning the series. What, but I guess well, what, what, what I was going to say here is that. I mean, one of the reasons is these teams are actually, when I combine all the numbers in the way that I do, they come out as basically very similar in quality of team. You know, their head-to-head has been, um, you know, sort of in the Wizards' favor. The Celtics were the better team in the regular season. Um, and But when you mix it all together, they come out to say that these teams are actually very similar <clears throat> in terms of overall quality. And so... Dropping game five doesn't necessarily crush their chances of winning game game six and game seven. It's just, you know, so and those chances, those odds are still pretty good. You know, the Wizards still have like a 45, 46, somewhere in there percent chance of winning in Boston, you know, winning a game in Boston. So with two left, you know, it's still a pretty good chance that they could uh, pull out. Even if they lose game five, there's still a pretty good chance that they could pull out game six and seven and win the series. Um, my guess, though, is that whoever wins Game 5 wins. But like I say, these teams are very similar in overall quality. They go about things very differently, but very similar overall quality. And so it's kind of a whoever's hot, whoever has the ball bounce the right way, whoever has the crazy uh, good luck or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's um, it, that's who could end up winning this series. And if I were to ask you right now, you know, what are the odds or what are the probabilities of the Wizards winning the series as opposed to just game five? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a coin flip? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The 50% chance of winning the series, yeah. And then for, for game five, the odds, I mean, I have the Wizards as coin flip underdogs, you know, like a 47% chance of winning, 46% chance of winning that game. So coin flip underdogs in game five, and but still a 50% chance of winning the series. Somehow... Fear-inducing, but I think that's just being a Wizards fan and trying to handle excitement and, and prosperity. Uh, after the first two games of the series, when in both of them, when when the Wizards squandered opportunities to take a game on the road, uh, I think there was plenty of reason to be anxious um, about the outcome of the series overall. And then the Wizards were pretty convincing in in their wins at home. What I, I have no sense for is if, um, you know, the Wizards have figured something out with with Boston and we're going to see more of the last two games mm-hmm. in Game 5 or if home court is such a big driving factor in, in, in who plays well that we're going to see more of a repeat of, of Games 1 and 2. Uh, we talked a little bit about home court the, the last time we chatted. Um, what, what's your, what's your sense for that? You know, this is the thing. I mean, it's, it's been such a crazy series, but I mean, there really hasn't been what I would think of as like a typical game. You know, they've, they've all been kind of a little more lopsided except for game two, which, you know, I said, Thomas went for 53 and, you know, we were talking the folks at Bullets Forever about all of the drawbacks, every drawback there was to, all the different ways that the Wizards could try to defend Isaiah Thomas. And then they come out in game three and, you know, keep him under control and then really kind of kept him under control in game four. In game four, he, he's, you know, he was pretty good, except for, you know, if pretty efficient shooting, but had a bunch of turnovers, you know. So it's... Um, 
Well, That's and he was lights out in the first quarter. It was lights out in the first quarter, and I think he scored. Uh, I think he had five threes in the first half, and what did he finish with? 17, 19 points. I mean, yeah, they, 19 points. And, and he didn't end up playing. Yeah, and he didn't end up playing the fourth quarter. I don't think because I don't think many of the starters on either team did because um, the game had gotten so out of hand. Mm-hmm. You and I had talked a little bit that these games uh, up until. Certainly the games in Boston and and maybe even game three have followed a little bit of a pattern whereby the Wizards have jumped out to a lead Mm -hmm. and then Boston's Boston's come back and either they've come all the way back or they've come back for long enough to make it a game. And and in the case of um, game three, the Wizards took control. In game four, the comeback never happened. In fact, you know, the Wizards... Um, you know, they treated the third quarter like it was like it was the first quarter of one of the previous games. Um, right. Is there anything to that pattern, or, or is it just is it just happenstance? I think it's sort of that the playoffs, in a lot of ways, have been kind of a microcosm of the Wizards' season. And so, in the regular season, the Wizards had one of the very best starting lineups in the league, and we're seeing that same thing in the playoffs. The starting lineup is playing well. They're getting off the big leads, and then they turn it over to one of the league's worst benches. And the Wizards have gotten very, very little from their benches. Uh, Bogdanovich has had a couple big games for them, but otherwise they've really gotten not much. Ubre has been pretty bad. Um, Jason Smith has been bad. Maybe they'll get something from Mahimi going forward. Hasn't done a lot yet, but maybe he'll he'll provide something for them. He's at least a big physical defender, and that's typically pretty useful in the playoffs if he's healthy enough to to stay on the floor. But really, the Wizards throughout the regular season has been, starting lineup has been terrific, bench has been terrible, and we're seeing the same thing in the playoffs. Yeah, it it seems like the the starters are, continue to be one of the better units in the league. The bench is not only can't keep up with the starters, but they can't keep up with the Celtics bench. And by the way, I mean, I, I think this sort of plays into the evenness of the teams. It Celtics are are a lot deeper. Brad Stevens has a lot of different combinations he can go to. He's got he's got better guys off the bench, and and, and the combination of just the Wizards bench being bad and the additional strain on the Wizards starters w- would seem to leave the Wizards vulnerable to to not being as strong down the stretch. Um, you mentioned well, you mentioned everyone on the bench. <laughs> A couple things on 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 Mahinmi and and both Jason Smith. I, I recognize that Mahinmi hasn't played um, a lot in the two games he's been back, and, and I and I wouldn't be uh, so simplistic as to argue that the Wizards being two and zero in the games that he's played and zero and two in the games that he hasn't is in some way causal. That said, Jason Smith, who had a, a a nice run of decent play over the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. You know he's hurt. He, he's playing hurt. Um, I think it's a calf injury. Yeah. But when you take a guy, a challenged, you know, thirty-year-old bench player like Jason Smith, who's not all that effective to begin with, and who's a foul machine, and you and and you put him out on the floor with an injury, there's even more vulnerability for his play to to really hurt yeah and and i think that and i think that mahinmi he's just I, i'm not arguing that he's 
that he has been good, but I just think he's a little bit of a stabilizing force on the second unit so that things don't go completely to hell. You, you know, so it maybe if if they're instead of instead of losing 10 points of a lead, maybe they're losing 6, which you you don't notice it at the time, but can be the difference in a close game between winning and losing a game. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that'll that'll happen. I mean, I don't think that that's what's happened in games three and four. I think it's just coincidence. It's, you know, lucky shirt theory. And uh, we love to assign meaning to, to things like that. But I really don't think that, that it's got much. I certainly do. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's fine. Um, but I, I don't see that at all. I think that it's just coincidence that the, the Wizards, basically in both games, three and four, the Wizards starters played a whole lot better and they got something from Bogdanovich uh, coming off the bench. And I think that was uh, really the key, you know. The that I don't think that Mahinmi has had a whole lot to to do with anything yet. I I think that he has a potent the potential to do that, um, because like I said, he's a big physical um, defender. But I I don't think that there's anything that I saw anyway that he did in games three or four that was you know particularly noteworthy as stabilizing. I mean, he fouled a lot and uh, the team. De- definitely got beat uh, when he was out there, but um, you know, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Well, then we'll uh, we'll put a pin in Jan Mahinmi for now, yeah. but uh, we do need to talk about Otto Porter, who yeah. um, uh, in some ways is you know, we keep coming back to him. He's he may be MVP of the Becker and Broom podcast. So <laughs> you know, l- l- let's talk about Game Four for a second, and then we're going to talk about the series and the playoffs overall. You know, Wall and Beal got a lot of the headlines in Game Four, and 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 they were great. You know, they scored fifty six points between the two of them, mm-hmm. and Wall's running the show, and Beal's finally making threes. And you know, Otto just by his nature, and we've talked about this a little bit of sort of what makes him value is uh, makes him valuable is that um, he doesn't command the spotlight, so he has these insane games that um, that people are just less apt to notice. So in game four, he scores 18 points on nine shot attempts. Yeah. Um, eight rebounds, two assists, four steals, um, a couple of which during that, you know, were huge during that big 26-0 run. And what's the... The, the joke stat that you and I texted about was that he had three turnovers, yeah. which for him is, it seems to be about a month's worth. In, in PPA terms, how good has, has Otto been? And yeah, well, so let's, yeah, let's go through, go through Otto for a second. So um, in my numbers, I've got him with, uh, for the playoffs with an offensive rating of 130. So that's uh, 130 points per 100 possessions, which is, outstanding it's just terrific give me some context is that is that uh is that a starter is that an all-star is well this is this is this is this is offensive rating and so um the league average in the playoffs is about 110 points per 100 possessions so Otto is 20 points per 100 possessions better than average in the regular season his offensive rating was 130 and uh offensive rating in the regular season was like right like 108.5 something like that so very similar how much more efficient he was than average. In terms of PPA in the playoffs, 
uh, where average is 164, I mean, is, is 100, autos PPA is 164, which is the level of an, that's all-star level, you know, perhaps borderline all NBA, but it's, it's all-star level. Just for context, Wall leads the Wizards with a, at a, with a 193. In the playoffs. In, in the playoffs, correct. If we go to the regular season, Otto, PPA was 161. So he's very consistent with where he was in the regular season. And he's doing the things that we talked about. We've talked about this like all season, I feel like, where he does not make a bunch of mistakes. He's so efficient. He doesn't need the ball to score points. He because the ball leaves his hands very quickly. If he's open, he shoots. If he's not, he passes. And he's a very safe guy to give the ball to. And he plays good defense, and he rebounds a little bit. And He's just a tough, good, smart player who, who plays the game the right way. He's constantly in the right place, and he's unselfish. He doesn't seem to have a lot of ego. And it's a great combination to put with a guy like Wall, who can do so many different things, both good and bad. You know, Wall will do a whole bunch of good things, and then he'll have the game where he has eight turnovers. You know, uh, game four, he was uh, really terrific, but he was 0 for 9 at the start, ended up uh, shooting 8 for 25 on the game. And uh, you could counter that because you've got Otto there going 7 for 9, you know. So Porter, is just, he's a really valuable guy because he does not make mistakes. He just makes good plays. Yeah, you know, there's a uh, a term that gets thrown around a lot in NBA parlance, um, you know, that someone is a volume shooter. Yeah, which I feel like is um, is is code for they're not particularly efficient. Mm-hmm. So you know, someone sco- you know someone you know, Kobe Bryant scored scored sixty points, but he did one hundred fifty shots. It's like, oh, he's a volume shooter. Right. So you know that that's all good. Um, Otto Porter is the exact opposite of a volume shooter, and uh, you know the 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 hope is that at, I mean, he's just twenty three years old. As he continues to grow, he's gonna he's gonna find more opportunities to shoot, and um, the Wizards' offense is gonna is gonna get better as a result. From a micro standpoint, you know, it's a little thing. It, it, it was two, maybe three possessions, but I thought that game three uh, when uh, Otto scored on consecutive possessions with Isaiah Thomas guarding him in the post. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was that was big because I just think you know Brad Stevens is a smart guy. He knows how efficient Otto is. He knows everything you just said about him saying when he's got a shot he'll take it and he's not going to force something that's not there. And I just think that in that moment mentally Brad Stevens just crossed off. Isaiah Thomas on Otto Porter as a possibility, and as electric an offensive player as Isaiah is, um, it's pretty clear that some of what the Wizards, some of their offensive success has been a result of exploiting Thomas's defensive limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Thomas, like you said, for all of his offensive ability, which is terrific, he is one of the worst defensive players in the league, and that's not entirely his fault because he's Five nine, and you get guys can just shoot over him and go over him. Um, but it's just a reality, I and mean, he's so good offensively that he more than makes up for that for the most part. But he is somebody; he is a matchup that can be exploited. And like you say, I agree that it's good that that Porter was able to do have some success 
in ISO situations against Thomas, um, which he should, considering that he's about a foot taller, and because it makes it that much more difficult to hide uh, Thomas when he's out there. They're going to have to stick him on Wall or Beal, and that's a tough matchup for anybody, even the best defenders. And uh, so that's a that's a good thing, and that's a, I agree with you that that's something that really helps the Wizards. Yeah, it's it's a clear tactical advantage. Um, you know, as we were talking about having our Miami conversation about two and zero versus zero and two, one thing that we didn't mention is uh, Kelly Oubre played no no minutes in Game Four as he was suspended <laughs> yeah. and didn't play that much in Game Three as he was ejected. Um, you know, people were drawing parallels of the Oubre suspension to the Nene suspension a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like there's a pretty big difference in terms of those guys' relative um, importance to the team's success. Yeah. You know, there, there's certainly, like, we love Kelly. He seems like a great kid. There's certainly a, you know, a lot of people like to talk about how, how great and unique to the Wizards roster his on-ball defense is, but they didn't miss him. In, well, in, game in three fact, or four. you know that could actually be the advantage that we're you're talking about. You're ascribing to Mahinmi. Maybe that's actually the advantage because I like Ubre. I I liked the draft pick. I wish they hadn't traded up to get him, but I, I I don't mind the pick. I like him as a player, and I think that he could be a good pro if he works on his game and if he you know studies game film and that kind of stuff. But he's not a good player yet. He's not a good NBA player. And I think that when people talk about his defense, the the eye looks he looks better to the when you're watching than he does in evaluation. And what I mean by that is that he does a lot of things pretty well. He's he's aggressive. He does move his feet. He's long arm, so he blocks some shots. He'll steal the ball. But one of the big things problems with him defensively is he fouls a lot. And when you do that, you're giving the opposition. Um, high efficiency offensive possessions. You know, on average, that's about a 1.5 per uh, per pos- 1.5 points per per possession. You remember we talked about offensive rating. Um, league average is like 108.5 in the playoffs. It's 110. The offensive rating on free throw possessions is 150. And so when Ubre is fouling and just like in the playoffs, we're talking about 9.7 fouls per hundred possessions. That's a lot. And those are turning into free throws, which are high-efficiency possessions. And so while he may be able to be a pest in on-ball defense, he's got to figure out the difference between being aggressive and being you know, reckless. He needs some skill, some ability to go with it, because otherwise he's just a bunch of flailing effort and he's actually hurting the team. That is a, a fantastic point. And... The reason it's fantastic is because it's two things. It is simple, and I think it's one of the least understood points in terms of understanding what contributes to wins and losses. Um, uh, You know, this is not—personal fouls are not some esoteric formula uh, that that people need to fight over and say, you know— you know, you, you don't know what you're seeing or whatever. The, 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 the fact that fouls are that costly from an efficiency standpoint um, really matters. And, and so fouls are a double whammy 
from the standpoint of, you know, when you have a guy who's important to have on the floor, the accumulation of fouls means he's got to be off the floor. And particularly with the Wizards starters, that's of grave concern because of who's coming in to replace them. Mm -hmm. But then there's just also the matter of um, how quickly you're putting the opposing team in the bonus. And, and when you've got a driver like Isaiah Thomas and, and a spread floor and, and you know, the Wizards have this paranoia about defending the, not paranoia, they, they have this justifiable concern about defending the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Boston's going to the basket and they're going to draw fouls. And so if the Wizards are not able to defend without fouling, that's where Boston's really able to stack up points um, at the free throw line. And so that's why a guy like Jason Smith hurts so much on D because he gets a pretty block once in a while, but he is a foul machine. Mm-hmm. And it's the same reason why, exactly what you're saying, Ubre does some stuff that that look great. You know, you see him, you see the chase down blocks, you see the on ball steals, and you say, "Wow, that's that's unusual." I don't see a lot of people do that. But it gets back to one of your main points, which is you have to consider the whole player, and you have to consider the the credits and the debits. And so if you have a guy who's hurting you by repeatedly fouling, it's really dulling the impact of, of whatever else he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like you just said, got to take the whole player. It's, let's put it this way. It's not the NFL where you can put a guy in to rush the passer on third and eight. You know, in the, in the NBA, he has to stay out there. And there's some situations like late game situations with timeouts or stoppages where you can sub guys in for offense, defense. But overall, you've got to take the whole guy. Now, the the things that you talked about, the chase down blocks, the chase down steals, the ability to move his feet, those kinds of things are evidence of his potential. And I really do think that Ubre has the potential to be all defense kind of defender where he can just lock somebody up. And, you know, when they put Ubre on him, that guy's just going to have a, have a tough game. He has that kind of potential, but right now he's just, he, he doesn't know that line between aggression and just fouling and he's got to figure that out or then he's or he's not helping the team that's that's it i know you don't have nearly enough uh data particularly in the playoffs Mm -hmm. on tomas sadaransky to to draw any kind of a conclusion but but when i watched him in the few minutes he played over the last few games my overarching thought was man i i wish with as big a mess as the bench was during the season that Brooks could have made force force feeding him minutes is is not the right term but made acclimating him more of a priority because I, I think that if he were more comfortable he could help more and that may just be me imagining and hoping but he's got a physical skill set and he's a young veteran not nba veteran but a pro basketball mm-hmm. veteran and and yeah you know his his jumper's a little a little creaky but i mean goodness gracious uh have you watched brandon jennings shoot a basketball <laughs> yeah please um, no <laughs> i i like what sadaransky does and i wish there was you know i wish he was better <laughs> basically and and I, and I, and, I, and i feel like maybe with some more time he would have been better but the truth of the matter is, is maybe once he gets an off season and 
with an NBA season under his belt, he'll he'll come back more prepared next year. But yeah, no, the, I liked what I saw from him in Game Four. You reminded me of a term I coined actually for uh, Andre Blatch, and that is the the imaginary Blatch because people would always talk about oh he's he can handle the ball and he can pass and he can shoot and he can do all of those things and I'm like yeah he, he those are all theoretical things he can do those things they look he looks great in warm ups and you know when he he he's out there on the floor he will you know dribble the ball between his legs and behind his back and he'll make passes and that kind of stuff and it all looks just fine it looks very skilled but it doesn't really mount to anything for the wizards and so I started calling him imaginary blatch the imaginary blatch is great you know and so Sadoransky you I know what you're talking about. You you look at him, he looks like he's he's a competent, he's, you know, athletic enough and he's big enough and he's he he seems to have the requisite skills to be a good player. It's just not there yet right now. Which again, I think we've made this point as well where it just gives you an idea how tough the NBA is because he's 25 years old. He's played overseas for professionally for like what 7-8 years before he got to the NBA and he's you know, replacement level player in the NBA. And if he goes back and he works hard and studies the game and that kind of stuff, then I think that he does have the potential to be a decent backup guard. But right now, I don't think that he he's that much help. You know, how nice would this bench be, though, if the Wizards could just pick like one guard off of Boston's bench? <laughs> that would be pretty yeah, nice. That would be nice. I, I would be remiss if I didn't point to the one elite skill that Andre Blatch had, which is during, I think it was his second last season, maybe it was his last season in Washington, during shoot-around, during warm-ups, he used to play catch with people in the stands. And I'm not just talking about, like, in the first couple rows. He used to wing the ball, like, up to the top <laughs> of the 100 level and, and with great joy. So wherever you are, Andre, China or whatever, I hope you're enjoying the Wizards' playoff run. And I hope that uh, I hope that you root them on to a big win in Game Five. Yeah. That would be that would be nice for for the Wizards and their fans. We've we've waited a while for this. Obviously, a Game Five win wouldn't guarantee anything, but it would certainly put the Wizards in good position. So I, I think on that upbeat, hopeful note, <laughs> we should wrap up today's episode. As always, friends, please subscribe to uh, our little podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud, Stitcher, however you listen. Check out Kevin on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. Check out his Wizards-related work on Bullets Forever. And also check out KevinBroom.com for all other Kevin Broom writing. Um, I'm on Twitter at underscore Ben Becker. And until next time, this is Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever. Go Wizards. Go Wizards.